0: The problem with making my own decisions, I might make a mistake. That's not good for me, is it?
1: So this is the third week of February for 2020, and uh, this week in Common Sense. And you wrote five pieces this week, and it looks like you want to start talking about investments.
0: Yes. uh, Save Me, Good and Hard was the title of our piece. uh, That was Thursday, wasn't it? And basically... The SEC, not the Southeast Conference, uh, the best football and arguably the best basketball conference in the nation, but not them. The SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange Commission, is discussing new regulations that have been put forward that would make it difficult, cumbersome. Uh, You had to fill out all kinds of paperwork if you're just a regular investor who wants to buy mutual funds and other things that are deemed a little riskier than your average your average uh, security. And the whole idea behind it is a really stupid idea. And the idea is that somehow the average person isn't smart enough to invest his own money, and the government has to create guardrails to tell people what to do. And, of course, the problem always is that... <laughs> The people in government aren't geniuses either always. And in fact, even if you're a genius, you can make the wrong call. And it's always better for people who are investing their money to make the decision and not have someone else make the decision for them. And, And that goes for investing money and just about everything else you could think of and, of course, the impulse with government is always the reverse. And, and this is not to say that that impulse doesn't, like anything else, isn't right sometimes. You know, uh, nuclear weapons, you know, given to toddlers, probably not a good idea. And maybe we need, you know, if people start doing that, I think the government should step in and say, stop it. But for most things, let the people be free to do what they want to do. We created the government to protect us, but not to protect us from ourselves. It's a huge continual problem, and we shouldn't expect it to go away because, as I said a, a moment ago, that is the, the constant impulse of government is to think up new ways that they can make things better, but usually by having controls over what we say and do and and. You know a lot of times we're talking about uh, political controls, free speech um, and how dangerous that can be. but you know financial controls we want a system in which everyone has an equal opportunity to work hard and grow their wealth and and so having barriers that some folks who have you know <clears throat> the resources to be a, a bigger investor can invest in, but not smaller investors, no, no, no,
1: can't happen. And once again, this is an interesting case of uh, government coming in to fix a problem that government has started. What, what is one what of the reasons why normal people who have no knowledge of investing want to invest in various things? Because well, we, live in the, we live in the age of inflation and the government has caused it such that you can't hoard gold in your, in your bank vault, you have to do something with it or you lose wealth.
0: Well, you, you might be okay with gold because if there's, if there's inflation, it will tend to keep even, but it won't grow like the, I mean, the, the truth is even with all the ups and downs and we've seen some big downs in our, in our lifetimes. Um, and we're not that old. You know, we, we missed the great depression by several decades, uh, three, but you know, we, we we've seen the stock market be very volatile, but over time it has been very good and you should expect that we're going to get <clears throat> better, smarter, wealthier, more knowledgeable uh, as every day goes on. You know, it's the problem with individual people as we also get older and parts start to wear out. Um, but it, when you think of the economy and so on. Um. You know, we we should be growing wealth, and and so it it it's not such a bad investment to be investing in the stock market. Uh, over time, it's proven to be a very very good investment. It's you know it, it's just that that there is risk, and nobody knows the future, and it it it's gambling. It's not the same gambling as you know betting on the ponies. Uh, that's for certain, um, but it is a, a sort of gambling. It's also though the the sort of thing that we we want that vibrant economy, and and for the government, I mean, to have a Securities and Exchange Commission, other than as, as a, sort of a police force to guard against fraud, is, you know, to have an organization they're constantly trying to think of how we can regulate what I think could be a lot less regulated um, environment.
1: I noticed that your last lines are, you condescending thugs. Um, <laughs> you enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> so well it's kind of nice to see the word thug in the same sentence with uh, but, uh,
0: <laughs> well it's you know part of this is the elite nature of it that uh, from on high they're going to tell us what we can and can't do but the other part of it is thuggery it is that force and sometimes we forget that and we, we ignore it. You don't want to confront all the time that you're being forced to do this and that. We like to have more placid, uh, you know, daily routines. But, but there is thuggery. And especially because this piece, you know, was, uh, I, I tried to be lighthearted and, and kind of get the, the, the humor of, hey, well, you know, what, what can little, low simple people like us, American citizens do when our leaders don't tell us exactly what to do? uh so i wanted to end with a little bit more of a uh you know pie to the face maybe um so anyway that's it, it there is a lot of thuggery that goes on in government and we we've talked about it before usually more in the criminal justice uh uh area but anytime we say government should do something we are in essence saying it is important enough that government should arrest people put them in jail potentially get into a scuffle. Uh, People have been killed like Eric Gardner for, you know, illegally selling cigarettes in New York. Clearly he committed a crime, but, you know, I just don't want to see anybody killed for illegally selling a cigarette for 25 cents. Um, I'm funny that way. And, and here, of course, you know, no one's likely to be killed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, but uh, the wealth that can be created in this country can be tamped down or can be allowed for some and not for others. And boy, when when people talk about equality and wealth inequality, I usually, I bristle because there's no problem with wealth inequality. Some of us don't want to work as hard as as some of the wealthy people I know. and the only way, really, to make everything equal is to take. And I mean, there's been equal societies. Pol Pot's Cambodia. If you truly treasure equality, is arguably one of the most equal societies that ever existed because they were all starving and being beaten to death, you know, together. <laughs> so that's not what we want. Um, but when there there is equality under the law, and so when we see things that create a dividing line in the economy, we should get hot and we should stop it. And that's, you know, to me, it's a little bit like years ago, and I'm going to go on a slight tangent, but one of my favorite columns ever was The Queen of England Makes Me Sick. I love that title, too. It was so friendly and nice and inviting. It was a little provocative, arguably. But my whole point in that, which was at town hall, the least favorite column ever, the, like the most, I had the most negative feedback because the queen's a wonderful woman and she seems so nice and she, it was almost as if the, the, the queen had won World War II single-handedly was kind of the, the vibe I got from some folks. But I looked at it and I thought, you know, we hear all this talk about uh, racism Um, which is, you know, the, the kind of the bloodlines and if you have one drop of this blood or that blood or whatever, you know, this is how the world has been for centuries and it's not good and we should revolt against it and we should be careful that that sort of thinking not seep in to our, our present society. And yet then the Queen of England then, this was back I think in probably 2006 or eight or who knows when, but uh, years ago. But uh, the Queen of England comes, Liz Windsor, and uh, good old Liz. And everyone's, you know, I read a couple articles about how they were trying to explain to Americans how to behave and so on. And I'm thinking, what the, this is ridiculous. And so I just basically said, you know, this is this is everything that we campaign against, sometimes in in ways and over issues that are tiny or not even really in this vein where we're super sensitive to it. And then we celebrate. I mean, what is the Queen of England? Except this very wealthy woman, and I understand she has to work a lot, waving and going to stupid functions and so on. Quit your job! I didn't make you do it, um, and but so I feel a little sorry for her. I realize there's a you know cost benefit in her mind too, but she's super wealthy. Well, what did she ever do to get that wealth? I mean, we're just complaining about our one percent, almost all of whom got their wealth by. Pleasing customers, not by some political deal, although I'm sure there are a few who really, uh, who really upped their, their net worth by political deals, and I don't consider that to be honestly gained wealth. But, um, but almost all of our 1% got there by working their tail off and doing things that help people in society. And the Queen of England is wealthy because for centuries they had their foot on everybody else's neck and grabbed all kinds of property and wealth and so on and and it still paid a a big fee i mean i suggested in that column years ago they could have just hired somebody you know you maybe you're not going to get them for minimum wage but uh, you know 15 maybe or 20 and and they done a queen suit, and just like Disneyland, you've got the, the castle in England, people can still come. I understand tourism. I understand dollars. Anyway, so we did go on a good tangent there, but, but it, just, it just makes me kind of a little sick to think that, uh, that people can rail against something, and then it's right there in their face but in a little slightly different form that they hadn't maybe thought about it before. And they're celebrating it. So,
1: yeah. So if you saw the queen, if you came into contact with the queen, would you walk away from her and turn your back on her? Or would you back away from her like you're supposed to?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I never really thought about it, but I always, I had this idea when I was a kid, uh, that uh of writing a well first i had the idea of actually getting to wimbledon and winning it and then not bowing to the queen after my victory because i don't bow to queens and i'm glad you showed up you're like any other customer but sorry lady i'm not bowing and uh and i thought oh that would be really cool the only problem was i didn't quite get to wimbledon or to the finals or win it uh, so but then I had this idea of writing a novel, and in the in it, the character does that. So anyway, uh, someday. What so far, all I've, got, all I've got is this column.
1: <laughs> well, very good, very good. And we should mention what the column is. It's uh, thisiscommonsense dot com, where you write five days a week, and have been doing so since nineteen ninety nine. Yes. So there's a lot to read at this is common sense.com. And I don't even know if I mentioned up front, whether your name, your name, Paul Jacob. So is I'll put that your
0: my name.
1: And I think I'll put your name down below. Like I usually do, but later in the game. And uh, the queen may make you sick, but I'm actually sick. So that's one of the reasons my voice is kind of funny. And my name yes. is Timothy Verkala. I'll, I'll put my name down there too, Timothy Virkula. Uh I don't know why anyone cares, but that's, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, what else do you want to talk about this week? Um, Speaking of queens, uh, you want to go to Madame Guillotine, or do you want something else?
0: <laughs> you know, let's do go to Madame Guillotine um, because I want to. I want to go on a long tangent on that too. You know, you know me. But here is a case that it, this this woman, they, uh, her name is Brie Kidman, um, and and prefers the pronouns. Um, what is it? They and they uh, So their tweet showing her new her, you know, she looks like a her in the picture. I'm backsliding already. But there's a picture she's running for the Senate of the United States with a campaign logo that is a guillotine. And so you think maybe there's kind of a cute story behind this that it pulls you in. Oh, those crafty marketers. No. No, there's no cute story. There's a bunch of people with their heads chopped off in France, and of course, in a minute I want to talk about some people who had their heads chopped off in Germany, because there's an anniversary coming up tomorrow as we tape, but today as people will see the video, and and on Sunday as uh, as the uh as the podcast goes out, the idea that you would literally use that symbolism and then double down on it and that there just wouldn't be, and there was something of an outcry. I mean, I don't want to act like people went, Oh yeah, what the heck? Let's guillotine everybody. But this, to calculate that that's something you can say and then to double down and actually speak to it. What kind of politics is that? And I'll tell you what kind it is. So let's go to the anniversary uh, on February 22nd, 1943, 77 years ago, the White Rose students, who had been captured, at uh, least two of them, uh, Hans and Sophie Scholl, brother and sister, I think what 22 and or 20 and 22, something like that. Uh, Hans had been on the Eastern Front. Uh, they had been part of a group of students, the White Rose students, and Chris Schmoral. I hope I said that right, because uh, I didn't check it before I came on, but uh, uh, Hans had uh, uh, the next pamphlet in his pocket, stupidly, which he would have said, and it had handwriting and they were able to trace it back. So those three were on at 5 p.m. Uh, executed by guillotine after a quick sham trial, they had Painted, They were part of a group that had sent leaflets all over Germany, and those leaflets ended up getting, I believe, to six different countries, uh, had tremendous penetration considering that they were in Nazi Germany, and not at the beginning, but in 1943 as the war raged. And we have at Common Sense the pamphlets, the six pamphlets they distributed and the seventh pamphlet that never got distributed but that was pulled out of the the archives. Uh, And the Nazis were good at keeping things. And those are all at thisiscommonsense.com. I have just always been inspired by these people. Part of it was uh, growing up in a big family uh, that was very political. And uh, when I went through my resisting the draft and went to prison for five and a half months for refusing to register for conscription, uh, involuntary servitude, uh, I read the book, A Noble Treason, and was just blown away, and, and saw in the, obviously, much more, uh, serious and draconian things that happened, uh, to the Shoals, but saw how their family reacted, and remembered, you know, knew how my family was reacting, because, uh, my parents were very supportive. They weren't necessarily. They didn't necessarily say, "Hey, please don't register for the draft and and get on TV and and uh, and fight against it." But they they believed in what I was doing and and thought I was politically right, even though though they might have wished I'd just signed and moved along. Um, and you know, the whole my brothers and sisters, uh, you know, the, just that whole you know, connection, and of course, Hans and Sophie Scholl, brother and sister, Hans had been arrested actually uh, in 1937, because he was part of a youth group that was not approved by the government, uh, and and uh, their father had been pulled in and interrogated by the Gestapo uh, years before that, I think it was, I don't know when it was, I think it was late 30s, uh, because he had told his secretary that Hitler was God's curse. And, and so, you know, this was a, he had been a former mayor, uh, and I can't, I can't recall the, the name of the town, but was a, a mayor in the town they came from, which was close to, uh, to Munich, where they had gone to school. And Hans was pre-med, and a lot of the people in there were pre-med, uh, involved in the White Rose. I believe it ended up being six or seven who were executed a number of them were arrested and held. A couple of them uh, basically were, they held on long enough that they, they were in prison but didn't get executed uh, and the war ended and so on. But the, the courage and just the, the unwillingness to go along, this is kind of how they put it, that they just could not be part of this crime. And they knew the price of doing what they were doing, and they did it. And they, you know, it just, it, it's inspiring. It, you know, it's not, it's not suggesting, I know some people look at it as like, well, what a crazy thing to do. You know, it's a crazier thing to be part of that. Um, and it, it always argues to me how important it is that as Barney Fife, uh, Andy Griffith's great uh, deputy would say, we nip it in the bud when people talk about, well, we have freedoms in America that they don't have somewhere else, as if that's a defense for the lack of respect for our rights by the government, or uh, an argument against someone who's complaining that um, the, the, the government is not doing the right thing here or there, or is doing bad things overseas or at the border or whatever. The idea that somehow because we have more freedom, we should put up with our government not respecting all of them is crazy because we have to fight every day to maintain these freedoms. Our freedoms have helped other people get freedoms. And when other people, we've talked a lot and we will later here in this podcast talk a little bit about Taiwan and Hong Kong and communist china and i say communist because the party called the communist party that is totalitarian is uh, running the country but in 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 all those things when i see those students and young people and a few older people doing things in hong kong i think they're doing it for me and i, I mean i know they're not there going hey paul you know back in, he's in america and we better do this because he wants us to i mean that what they are doing has a real actual effect on my freedom here in America and everybody's freedom throughout the world and that we are connected in those ways. And I don't want to overstate it. You know, we're not all part of one mass, you know, uh, collective, but we are connected increasingly and we need to be, we need to have each other's back as much as we can. Expanding freedom anywhere gives the hope to people other places and blocking tyranny anywhere helps us block it the next place in the next place. And, uh, and we should probably segue, uh, with that. Um, but I will tell people if, if you're interested in in the White Rose students and what they did in Germany, it's a, it's a neat, neat story. It's inspiring to see anybody who has that kind of faith and courage. They were very religious, uh, much more religious than I am. Uh, and you know they were very devout christians uh and i think that certainly you know was part of their inspiration um but i i think it's just a, a tremendous story and there's lots that if you google it you can find a lot there's lots at this is commonsense.com and we should segue to talk about the most deadly disease and this was uh, monday's commentary And it was basically, there's been so much going, so much news about the coronavirus. And I had posted some things on Facebook, but I don't know that I had written anything about the controversy over the World Health Organization and the fact that China increasingly pretty much tells everybody what to do and say throughout the world. Uh, I know the United States is giving a bunch of money to the UN, gives a bunch of money to the World Health Organization but somehow we allow the World Health Organization that we're helping to fund to keep Taiwan out and not allow them to be part of it. Even though when you think of this disease and when you think of SARS years ago, the track record in China is pretty doggone horrible. Uh, they, you know, they, they're not a, a transparent, um, straightforward, honest society. And they also don't have the kind of uh, connectiveness that people are working together like they would in a place like Taiwan. And of course, Taiwan has one of the best medical systems in the world from different rankings. And uh, in some rankings have been ranked first. Uh, and, And so why on earth would the World Health Organization block them? Well, one reason. China says they have to block them. And so there was... They they were actually invited finally to be part of a meeting, and to share some of you know what they're doing. But they had their first death in Taiwan uh, over last weekend, and uh, and of course there's been over two I guess twenty five hundred deaths in China now, uh, and deaths in, in France and and uh, several other countries. But I thought uh, what also came out over the weekend, and there really hasn't been that much news about it. Uh, Uh, You know, it didn't seem to be a story that had many legs, but weeks before there was any public acknowledgement by the Chinese government that uh, there was a problem, President uh, Xi Jinping had a speech where he was talking to uh, Communist Party insiders and talking about the virus. So it's obvious that at the highest levels of the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, they knew about it weeks before there was public acknowledgement and and they were warning people about it. So, you know, that's that's a real problem. But um, one of the reasons I did the uh, uh, commentary, uh, or I guess one of the other factors that happened is that uh, the doctor who first publicized it and was telling people about it, uh, who actually had been arrested for that, died as well. And that was that wasn't over last weekend, but it was that last week. So again, that's, you know, y- you see why maybe in that society you don't come up and say, hey, we've got a real problem. You guys have to pay attention because it can get you arrested. It can get you imprisoned. It can get you killed. Uh, and of course he didn't die By the government he died from trying to help people who have this terrible virus but uh i also saw a a great editorial in the taipei times in taiwan and i just wanted to read uh what i thought was the most important part which was in the commentary as more information leaks out from wuhan the epicenter of the outbreak the editorial said It is clear that Beijing was unable to prevent the virus from spreading out of control precisely because it lacks the accountability, freedom of speech, and free flow of information that form the bedrock of democracies. And this is not only important because this disease is a danger, and we can see it, and, and we know, boy, in this case, what a terrible move. But it's important because I think so often, we think about uh, that, you know, sometimes government has to take control. And you would almost think, and I think even I would almost think, and I don't usually think government should take control of anything. Um, But I almost would think, boy, in a case like that, you might need the command and control that would say, hey, we're gonna do this and this and, 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 tell people they've gotta stay here and you're quarantined and so on. But in societies where that's what you do, people don't take the right actions themselves because of course they're waiting for someone else to take action or they're scared to take the action because if they take it and it's not exactly right, boom, off goes their head. And so that isn't the way it works. And of course, in societies where people are free, when something's bad's happening, we're not stupid. You know, we don't walk off cliffs and you know purposely drive our car you know off the road into a tree. Not that those things don't happen occasionally, but there's usually some other things involved. Um, we want to live, and so people, of course, take actions that protect their health. And I don't think you're going to have a problem in a free society saying, in some cases, we're going we're going to quarantine people when you have something like this and, and libertarians, of course, you know, if you, if you got a bunch of hardcore libertarians together, we'll argue about all kinds of what they can and can't do. And, but in the real world, I don't think there's really any uh, opposition to government taking a role if they respect the people. And, and this is, this is, uh, I think a great case of, How you can see, even in a a situation in which you would think a more command and control society would deal with the problem better. Oh, no, no, no. They deal with it much worse. And of course, this is the type of problem that it could be awfully disastrous.
1: And it sounds an awful lot like Friday's piece, uh, The C Word Emerges, has links to this story, because here we have communism mentioned or lurking behind at least one, if not all of the candidates for the democratic nomination for the presidency.
0: You know, Bloomberg used the C word and it's interesting because I was discussing with people the other day that, you know, that in some ways, Sanders might be, if, if it's, if a Democrat's going to be elected, Sanders might be the best for the country. And, and before people, you know, fall down or, or check their sound, Here's why, and I'm I'm not for Sanders. But in some ways, you don't know with other folks. With Sanders, he does believe in certain things. He is an ideologue, and so you can kind of count that he's, you know, going to do what he believes in. And occasionally, his philosophy matches up with mine, and probably matches up with yours. Uh, With mine, it might match up more in foreign policy. Although I would be a little afraid that as as we'll get to, he might be awfully friendly with the wrong countries. But I think Sanders would also create a groundswell of not just support, but understanding, which would make that support much stronger for stopping the march to socializing this country. And that there would be a reaction to Sanders, a uh, President Sanders, as great as the reaction to President Trump, if not greater. And with more, the, the 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 opposition to Trump is so personal. The opposition to Bernie Sanders would not be personal. It would be ideological, and people would, would say, you know what, I'm not a big, big into political philosophies, but I like capitalism better than I like socialism. So I, I think there could be good things there, whereas I think All the other Democrats are likely to leap along the socialist road without ever admitting that that's the road they're on. uh, Whereas Sanders admitted it. And someone pointed out to me, but the truth is, Sanders does not admit how far he wants to go and bristles, as he did during the debate, when Bloomberg mentioned, hey, we've tried this. And of course, they were talking about Bernie Sanders' proposal to uh, basically force big corporations to give 20% of their stock to their employees so that their employees controlled at least 20% of the company. And that's a government really micromanaging who owns and who sells, and of course Bernie Sanders has oftentimes talked about he does want public ownership, meaning government ownership of what he calls the major means of production. And of course, I pointed out. Well, apparently, he doesn't sweat. You know, Karl Marx wanted control of of all of the means of production. Bernie's not sweating the small stuff. He just wants control of the major means of production. I mean, it's 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 Marxist lingo. And of course, Bernie Sanders. You know, he he. Now, it may have just been kind of the 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 calendar that required him. To honeymoon in the Soviet Union, but Bernie Sanders, you know, you ask him about the Soviet Union. Of course, well, I'm not saying everything they did was good. You know, starving millions of Ukrainians and and you know, killing so many of their own people and and uh, and having no freedom of any kind whatsoever. You know, maybe that wasn't so good. Although he won't mention the no freedom. That's kind of part of his agenda, I think. In the end, um, but he talks about the subways and how beautiful the subways are. And I had the wonderful opportunity uh, to go to what was Russia right after it became Russia instead of the Soviet Union in 1993. And I've been to the Moscow uh, subways and they're absolutely gorgeous. Now, never for a moment did I think, hey, there's no freedom. You could get killed for all kinds of things. They might starve you to death. But, boy, did they have good subways. I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, uh, well, I don't know what it's like. Who, who thinks about that? Well, it's the same thing with Castro. Uh, he said wonderful things about Castro. He educated his people. He, he I think Bernie Sanders believes that the people in Cuba love Castro because Bernie kind of loves Castro and loves the, you know, the communist man of the people, but he's imprisoned people constantly. There's no freedom there either. And, And so we have this man running for president who I think increasingly looks very likely, unless, as we'll write about maybe next week, he doesn't win on the first ballot, And the superdelegates who have been defanged on the first ballot in the Democratic uh, Party's uh, system come back in the second round. So if Bernie doesn't win on the first round, it's possible that all those superdelegates who are pledged to vote as their state's vote on the first ballot, who then are free to vote any way they want. Well, they're all the insiders, and they don't like Bernie. I mean, I think, what was it? What was it, like 400 to 1 against? Yeah, I mean, it was some, like, 60 of them were for Bernie, and 400 were for Hillary Uh, in 2016. It was some completely lopsided. And if I knew I was going to mention it, I would have maybe gone to thisiscommonsense.com and and used the search function to pull that uh, script, because we were one of the first people to talk about how big a deal the superdelegates were in 2016. Um, and I think we should start talking about it again, because if it's a brokered convention, if it goes past that first ballot, all of a the sudden there's this built in wedge against Bernie Sanders. And I don't think Sanders is uh, going to be too happy about that or the, or his people. And they have every right not to be happy about it. But anyway, the, the, uh, We have someone who's likely to win, who calls himself a socialist and who likes communists. He likes them, he likes what they do. He doesn't like their excesses when they kill people for no reason. He doesn't like that, but he likes them. And he thinks the fact that they kill people should not blind us or imprison them for speaking out, for nothing other than speaking out, should not blind us. To the education their system produces, or to the health care that they provide. So if you give people stuff, you can kill some of them. And not that it's okay to kill them, but just that we should be very understanding and maybe kind of support that political philosophy. Anyway, it's going to be a heck of an interesting year. That's what I keep thinking. Wow. I, you know, it seems like Years ago, I thought, you know, boy, we live in crazy times. And we just are going deeper and deeper down the, down the rabbit hole. The old Chinese uh, curse, may you live in interesting times.
1: People talk about how good the education is in communist countries. And I'm dubious. However, there's a reason we would expect that to be true. Why would we believe that education would be better than other public goods in a, in a communist country? Because in a communist country, they need to program the people. And how do you program the people? The first method is public education. Oh, don't say that. Uh, Communist education, Uh, which is an Uh, interesting problem, which which I think should give Americans some pause about their education system.
0: It should. It should. And that is such a great point. And it, it reminds me of what might seem like a tangent point, but we should be paying attention to our education system. And one of the reasons I'm for school choice and creating a huge marketplace is because I want people to be able to choose and not all be getting the same indoctrination, whether it's whether, you know, if, if you're, if I were doing it, I might indoctrinate you. You might think that because I have certain beliefs and, and you can only expect people to be teaching from what they believe is why, why there ought to be a lot of choice. But it's interesting, too, because it's also why there have been a lot of talk about lowering the voting age and more in liberal circles than conservative circles and more in liberal places than conservative places. But I have opposed lowering it to any age below what is currently the majority age because you would be having people vote who are In compulsory situations, they're having to go to school every day. They're having to listen to people talk about government and politics. And of course, I think we know from, well, I've been involved in Freedom of Information Act efforts all across the country, looking at political activity in the public schools, using public school resources to engage in them. And it's a huge problem. Uh, it's not going to be talked about a whole lot because it doesn't fit the narrative that most of the media wants to talk about, but it's, it's a huge problem and it happens again and again and again. The, these, the teachers unions are very political and there are people, not every teacher's political like that. Most of them are, but there are uh, teachers who are, and they are able to use that, that apparatus. And it's also why, you know, Bernie Sanders, I thought, again, shows why, you know, he's willing to say things, Uh, I think it's why young people like him so much. And and frankly, it's what I like about him. I can't find much, but this I like. He came out for voting that, that felons should still be voting. If they're in prison, they should still be voting because everyone has a right to be represented and everyone has a right to vote. And I can respect that position. I think it's wrong. I don't want people who are under someone else's custody voting i i want people voting only who are under their own custody and so i don't favor that i favor uh restoring rights and of course i also favor restoring uh second amendment rights a lot more than than get restored but i favor that as soon as someone has served their sentence, but not when they're under somebody else's uh care and feeding
1: you would think at this point we'd, we'd got to the place where we'd end our talk for the week however there is one piece that you wrote that we haven't talked about yet and that was a rock star chrissy Hind.
0: chrissy Hind. there were a couple of pretender songs that i really liked back on the chain gang and what, what was it but we got we got just about every song of theirs i liked into uh what was i think wednesday's script and that was fun that was a lot of fun for me I don't know if it was fun for anybody else, but you know you got you guys have to decide that, but the whole point of that script was here was a rock star who was liberal who did an open letter on with tweets on twitter and um and she does an open letter to trump and she is she never really congratulated Trump or was effusive in any praise for Trump, but she was very respectful and nice and the and the You know, the clear impression was, thank you for recognizing Rush Limbaugh. And she admitted she didn't agree with Rush Limbaugh, but her late father. uh, And I have a thing for, you know, I've got three daughters and I have a thing for daughters loving their dads. I don't know. I like it. I think it's a good thing. And she loved her dad and she disagreed. She said she disagreed with her dad all the time but then made the wonderful point that, but isn't that what America's all about? that you can disagree and that you can do it without getting your head chopped off. And that, it just was such a powerful, subtle message. Um, I, I just thought, thought it was wonderful. And you know the, the other thing that she did, which to me made it even better, is then she lobbied Trump. She's not fooling around. Thank you very much. She said thank you. She made the point, which was so important, but then she was right back out of offense or she was on offense before, but she was right there to lobby for him to leave Julian Assange alone and to pardon him because I guess he has been charged now, so he would have to pardon him, but pardon him already. And she made the point that, you know, maybe he did break the law and maybe what he did was wrong but he believed he was defending freedom. He believed he was doing something good and he has suffered enough and please consider my plea. And, uh, and I respect that. And I, and I think this week, you know, there was so much with the, the pardons and we've talked about uh, at Common Sense through the years back, we started talking about the pardon process that the president has uh, back when Bill Clinton used it to pardon Mark Rich who was a fugitive from justice, had never turned himself in, whose relatives have given hundreds of thousands of dollars and who got pardoned on the run. Very, very unusual. Usually you're serving your sentence or you've already served it. um, But you're not, you're not avoiding, um, not not that I'm arguing for people to, you know, come turn themselves in or anything, but, but, it really is a little different to have given that. And, and I think some of Trump's pardons, uh, people in their families had given money, uh, large sums of money to different uh, things, Trump campaign or different Trump uh, efforts. And it's a huge problem. And yet I love this power because to me it's, it's almost, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about the one guy who shouldn't go free. I'm worried about all the people who should go free. And if I were the president, I would, whatever office they have, I would ask for volunteers to beef it up two or three or 50 times what it is to look at cases where we could help somebody regain the life they ought to have because they've served a long enough sentence and they deserve it because the crime they were convicted of is not a crime at all. Um, I have to, you know, I, I was very critical of Obama, uh, but I have to say his use of the pardon power and commutations, and is that the right way to say that? Uh, and all of that was excellent, and excellent compared to the others. He could have done even more, but it was excellent in that he did it, and others were not doing it. it was largely on criminal justice matters. And drug offenders that got completely outrageously long sentences. So if I were president, for one, I would say the drug war is over because no one's going to be arrested and convicted of a crime uh, as part of the drug war without getting a pardon from me. And overnight, the drug war is over. The states can do it if they want. I don't think they will. They're rushing they're rushing the other direction as as I think smart people are, but but that's what I would do. And and I would also though use it for mercy. And we, we need that mercy in our system. It is a damn shame that this wonderful pardon power is used almost always to reward political cronies and used as a political, how do I help the, the, the rich and powerful avoid consequences? Uh, and I don't say that, that all of Trump's pardons have been that way, they haven't. I've, I've liked some of his pardons, a lot of his pardons, but too often I think they're used in political obnoxious ways. Of course, the president can pay a par- price for that too. Um, anyway, it's uh mercy is a good thing in free societies it's important to have the rule of law but it's also important to have this element that can can help restore justice when things get out of hand and uh and i think the public should be more engaged in it in terms of pushing it and i think it should be used a lot more and i think there should be real repercussions for using it in a political you know, outrageous way, instead of using it in a decent way. And the American people, we know the difference. I'm not sure presidents always do, but we do. On that note, I think we should release our mass audience to restore peace and harmony and prosperity to the land.
1: And that's my cue to wrap this up and thank the audience for listening to us for almost an hour. You can read Paul Jacob at sense.com five days a week and catch the podcast at YouTube and on his site and on SoundCloud on the weekends. Thank you.